Biblical servanthood, what is it? What does it look like? What are the characteristics of biblical servanthood? How should you and I as believers in Christ act as a servant of Christ? These are questions we hope to answer for you today on Graceful Truth. Join us. When it came to referring to himself as a servant or slave, Paul had a favorite word. It was called hooperetes, which meant third-level galley slave, the guy who would row an oar on a trireme down at the very bottom with two oarsmen above him. Your life expectancy was about a week. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to the program. We're taking a look at biblical servanthood. The Apostle Paul has us in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 16 today as we take a look at the characteristics of a servant. Join us for this edition of Graceful Truth. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Paul here is in the midst of the storm in the Mediterranean Sea, and he says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Listen to this. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I what? Worship. We have to know who we're serving. Or 2 Timothy 1.3, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. No wrong motivating factors there, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. What he was saying was, you know what? You can look inside my heart and see that I'm serving God with a whole heart, that I've committed my life to it. Paul's service was an act of worship. It was deep. It was genuine. It was honest. I mean, there's always some things in ministry and service that we don't like to do. But let's do it as unto the Lord. You know, so many times in the church, I, I find it interesting that, you know, most churches are needy churches. They have a lot of things that need to get done and very few people to do them. I think percentage-wise, our church is pretty... Well, I mean, we're a smaller church, but I think a majority of our people are involved somewhere in ministry, which is encouraging. But I think sometimes it's, it's frustrating when you make a need known and maybe you see somebody that kind of has a gifting toward that. And, and rather than just roll the sleeves up and, yeah, let's get at it, you know. Well, brother, let me pray about this and... We should be willing to serve the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul said to Timothy, who was kind of, kind of going back and forth with his faith, he said, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord. And then he says this, From a pure heart. Our service to the Lord should be done from a pure heart. Very important that we see that and we understand that. Well, Paul begins here in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and he begins to kind of list off these things that he says are needed for biblical servanthood, characters of a servant. And the first one there is in verse 8. He says, first, I thank. <laughs> I thank. It's a thankful spirit. If you're going to be used of God in any kind of ministry, the one thing you need is a thankful thankful spirit, right? You need to have a thankful heart. And that's how the Apostle Paul was. You can't really go through any of his epistles where he's not expressing thanks to God. Sometimes in ministry, people go through negative 
experiences. We all do. We all have. And sometimes those experiences can taint you. And you walk away going, oh, I'm never going to get involved in that. Or I'm never going to do this again. Never. No, you know what? Change your attitude. Thank God that he brought you through that experience. Thank God that hopefully he gave you the wisdom not to repeat the experience. Don't use the experience to kind of just pull back and say, oh, every time I get involved in ministry, I get hurt. My feelings get hurt. Paul never did that. He said, I'm so thankful for what God has done in me. I, I, I just want to thank God even for you. <laughs> and you notice he's not thanking them, right? He's not thanking them. That's really the, the source here is he says, I thank my what? My God. I thank my God. He says that in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says in Philemon 4, I thank my God making mention of you in, always in my prayers. See, Paul was so in tune, it seems, with God's purposes that they became the source of his thanksgiving. He always knew, okay, God has a purpose in this, whether it's good, bad, whatever, and I'm just going to thank God that he's allowing me to go through this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, Paul said this, The Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. I mean, even when he became a prisoner, beloved, he maintained a thankful spirit. I don't know about you, but when things don't go my way, or I find myself in a fix or in a, in a troubled situation, I'll just be frank with you. A lot of times, a thankful spirit is not what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Or I may be thinking about it, but it's not happening. Usually, it's kind of like, why is this happening? You know, why am I stuck in traffic? I'm trying to go visit somebody in the hospital. Here I am stuck on 101. Somebody had to have an accident, didn't they? Oh, man, just figures, you know. We get so self-centered sometimes. See, he wasn't focused on them. He said, you know what? I thank my God. I thank my God. That was his source. Regardless of his condition, Paul always maintained a thankful heart to the Lord. And that's important to understand when we, when we talk about servanthood, especially when we talk about biblical servanthood. Because we're talking about being real, right? And in, you know what? When in churches, when you get involved in ministry, you're dealing with other sinners just like yourself. And sometimes things are said, things are done, there's tension, there's weird things that go on, whatever it might be. And we can turn and we can run and say, oh, I can't believe my feelings are hurt. Or we can say, you know what, God, thank you for this situation. Help me to grow through it. Help me to understand more about these folks. Help me understand more about myself. See, he was constantly filled with joy because his joy had nothing to do with his present circumstances. Wouldn't you love to be able to get to that point in your life? You know, when you meet somebody that's that way, it's almost like, come on, are you seriously this joyful all the time? You know, what do you really like? You know, what do you like when you get up in the morning, you know, and you don't feel, I mean, are you still joyful? And there are some people that have really gotten to that point in their Christian life. They've really embraced everything for the most part they come across. And that's a wonderful place to be. We should all long to be there. He was concerned about one thing, about preaching and proclaiming the cause of Christ. That's all that mattered to this guy. We look at his source, who was God, and then you, you say there, first I thank my God, and then he says, through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't 
have anything. We wouldn't have a relationship with the source who is God. We wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't have our sins forgiven and paid for. We wouldn't have his Holy Spirit residing within us. See, it all rests on who our faith is in. Is it in a church? Is it in a denomination? Is it in a pastor? Is it in an elder? Is it in, you know, some religion somewhere? Or is it in Christ? Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, No man, what? Comes unto the Father, but how? Through me. I'm the mediator. I'm the gatekeeper. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you understand, apart from Jesus Christ, God could be nothing to us but a consuming fire of judgment and wrath? That would be it. You would be, I would be, condemned to hell forever. There'd be no hope of forgiveness. There'd be no hope of salvation. The only reason we can approach God is that Jesus Christ died in our behalf, on our behalf, in our place. And Paul served his God through Christ with a heart of thanksgiving because he understood that. He understood his source was from Lord, and he understood the only way that he could have that source in God was through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that this morning, I pray that God would make that truth reality to you. If you're trusting in anything other than the work of Christ for your salvation, you're lost. Third thing here, having to do with the thankful spirit, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, for all of you. (laughs) That's the, the scope of his thanksgiving. How many of you can say that? I just thank God for all of you. Who's popping in your mind right now? Well, yeah, accept that person, right? I mean, we all have that. Paul was, was pure in heart to the point where he said, no, you know what? Good, bad, ugly, whatever. I'm thanking God for you. Doesn't matter. It was all encompassing. And what he wanted to show these believers here in Rome was that his heart was, was toward all of them. He wasn't coming there as a Pharisee saying, I'm only going to talk to the religious elite. No, he understood he had been forgiven, that all his sins had been paid for, not because of his goodness, but because of God's grace. And he understood, hey, we're all on the level playing field here. I mean, this this area up here doesn't make you holy. This is not a holy place. I mean, we, we get these trappings sometimes in our head and we think that somehow if, if, if someone's a pastor or an elder or on the worship team or, or serving in a church, that somehow they're, they're, they're holy. No, that doesn't make you holy. The only thing that can make you holy, beloved, is, is the forgiveness that comes through the mediator who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all unholy. We're all full of sin. We're all on our way to hell. And the only way we can be saved by that is by God through Jesus Christ. And so he wanted them to know in Rome that, hey, I'm not just thankful for some of you. <laughs> I'm thankful for all of you. You can ask yourself the question, are you truly thankful? I mean, he was thankful even in the midst of Roman persecution. And when you look at different churches 
They're known for different things. I pray that our church is known for its thankfulness to the Lord. That we would be known as a church that stands on God's word and God's word alone. A thankful heart is essential for true spiritual biblical service. Do you have a thankful heart? Are you overwhelmed with thanksgiving for what God has done for you? Because if you are, I guarantee you the bitterness and the resentment will fade away. It's hard to be bitter and resentful and thankful. It just doesn't go together. Ask God to heal your heart. Ask God to remove the bitterness or the resentment. Maybe that you're feeling even toward God. Or toward somebody else. Because there's so much to be thankful for, you're really missing out. And see, the enemy doesn't play fair. Right? So, in the midst of your service to God, he kind of comes alongside of you and whispers things in your ear. You know, you, you deserve a lot better than this. You don't have to be thankful. People should be thanking you for all you do. See, and he plays these mind games with us. And we need to step back and say, no, wait a minute. There's a lot to be thankful for. Make a list if it helps you. Sit down. Take 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour. Start writing down on the list. What am I thankful for? And see how far you can go. I bet you'll be surprised. It's hard to stop. Thankful spirit. Secondly, Paul talks about here in verse 9, he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you in my prayers. Always. Paul here really was almost kind of redundant in his phrasing here. He says, without ceasing, and yet I do it always. He wants them to know that, you know what? Without ceasing here is the negative emphasis. Always is the positive emphasis. Paul was basically telling them, you know what? I'm I'm covering all the bases with you. I'm praying for you all the time. I'm that concerned for you. And he says, God is my witness. They didn't, remember, they don't really know him. They don't know him personally. And he called on God to really validate his ministry to them because they were maybe a little skeptical. And he's saying, hey, you know what? God is my witness. He knows my heart. Just as God witnessed about Christ's public ministry. He also testifies concerning the public ministry of Paul. And basically he's saying, hey, this is, I'm doing this because God is is working through me. You notice there he says in my prayers too. He wanted them to know that he was praying for them. Do you pray for people? Do you spend time in prayer for people in the body, people in your family, maybe people that don't know the Lord? Do we do it with diligence? Do we do it with regularity? Or do we just do it when we don't have nothing else to do? Or we feel guilty because we're not doing it. Prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines probably that we all struggle with at some, some level. And here you see Paul praying for a group of people he never met. I started praying a couple weeks ago for some of the people we'll meet on this trip to India. I don't know who they are. But I want to pray that God would somehow connect us. That we could be an encouragement to one another. Somehow we find that, that common ground in Christ. That somehow our mutual churches could benefit from us meeting. 
We never met these people. And so he says, you know what? I'm remembering you in my prayers. And that wasn't an uncommon thing for Paul. He says it over and over and over again. The early apostles devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we all know that verse, pray without ceasing. Somebody once said, do you really believe that? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, how do you, how do you ever do that? And I said, well, we talked about how prayer is not just a task that you do. It's not just an activity. It's an attitude. Okay? Prayer is an attitude. It's an attitude of dependence upon God. You don't have to drop to your knees and close your eyes when you're praying. It's an attitude of dependence upon God. There's nothing wrong with that, but that'd be a little hard doing on the freeway. You know, maybe that's why that guy had the accident. I don't know. You know, he's praying with his eyes closed or something. But I told the grandkids one time we were going somewhere and I said, well, let me pray that we have a safe trip or whatever. And I think it was Mason kind of said, Grandpa, you're not going to close your eyes, are you? I said, no, buddy, I'm not going to close my eyes. You know, we can pray as an attitude anywhere, and that's what God desires us to do. We're called to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, Ephesians. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, It's for this reason that I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you ever struggle with what to pray, open up Ephesians chapter 3 and just read verses 14 to 19. That's a great prayer from the Apostle Paul. Or you find it over in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And so we we see this theme for Paul over and over and over again. Paul was a man who had a concerned spirit, and he knew his concerns drove him to the Lord. Now, you can be concerned about a lot of things, right? And not go to the Lord. What's that called? Worry, right? Worry doesn't get you anywhere. Nobody's ever been helped by somebody worrying for them. When's the last time you told us, boy, I'm really worried for you. Well, thanks, but what good does that do them? You know, I told that to my wife one time, and she goes, well, you must not have been that worried. You didn't even call. Find out what was going on. So I had to eat my words. I thought, well, yeah, you're right. I must not have been that worried. So concerned spirit. Next one there is a willing spirit. Look at verse 10. He says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul not only prayed for these believers in Rome, but he also wanted them to be part of the whole situation. You know, sometimes we we pray for things, right? Pray for, boy, I just pray for my neighbor. Pray that he'll get saved. I'm praying for him for 10 years. When's the last time you walked over to you and said hi to your neighbor? Well, I don't, don't want to talk to him. You don't talk to him, but you pray for him. Oh, yeah. Pray for him religiously. 
maybe stop praying and just go speak to them. You know, I mean, that might be a good first step. So many times we're willing, we're unwilling to, to do anything, but we'll, do, we'll, be, we'll be prayer warriors. And we have to be both, beloved. That's what we're called to do. We have to have willing spirits to serve the Lord. I think sometimes that we, we forget that. You know, we, we want to kind of look spiritual with our prayer life. Maybe we're not serving. <laughs> and, and that's kind of an oxymoron. You can't do that. God wants us to do both. He wants us to be like the prophet Isaiah. When God tapped him on the shoulder, what did he say? Here I am. Send me. I'm ready to go. I'll do whatever you want to do. That's, that's the attitude of a servant. And you, you, you have to understand that because if you don't, then you're going, to be, you're going to be serving God in your little box. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I feel comfortable in this box. So as a result of that, I'm willing to do anything in this box. God, don't ask me to step outside this box because I'm not going to do it. I'll just be disobedient. Disobedience before God is sin. I don't feel comfortable doing that ministry, so I'm just not going to do it. Maybe God's trying to stretch you. Maybe God's trying to move and work you. Maybe God's trying to show you that, hey, maybe that's not the ministry for you, but there's another one. But see, it all starts with what? A willingness, right? There's some people that, in this economy especially, it's tough. They're unemployed, and they've been unemployed for sometimes months and months and years. And when you talk to them, you can tell, you, you can tell man, they're just, they're just depressed. They're just, they don't have any self-worth. They're just, they, they just feel so down on themselves. And when you ask them, have you, where have you, have you looked anywhere? Well, and they're kind of looking for their little, their job. They're looking for what they've always done, and they've never done anything else, and they're unwilling to look at anything else. And I always tell them, look, just get a job. Go to Orchard Supply. Go to Costco. Go to Home Depot. Get some job. At least you've got a job. At least then you, it may be a disposable job. You can quit it when the other job comes. But at least get a job and that, that maintain your, your, your kind of willingness to be part of the, the system and pull in an income. But when you totally give up, when you're unwilling to do anything other than what you feel comfortable doing, you're really restricting the way God can use you at all. Next thing, there's a submissive spirit. He says, by God's will that I may come to you. This is a big one for a lot of people. We talk of that word submission. We don't like that word. Nobody does. See, Paul didn't want to go do his own deal, right? He just didn't want to go and, and say, ah, you know what, God, I don't care what you want me to do. I want to go to Rome. I want to do this. I want to do that. No, Paul was all about doing what God wanted him to do. He was really driven by his commitment to the will of God. And where do you think he got that? <laughs> he got it from Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was Paul's model. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he's... he's on his face before his father, and he says, Oh, my father, if it's possible, <laughs> let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of suffering that we're going to celebrate here in a few moments. The cup that contained all the beatings. The, the cup that contained all the slander and the spitting and the pulling of the beard and the thorns and the brow and the mocking. The cup that included God turning his back on his own son. I mean, most people would say, yeah, you can just pass that cup by. I don't need to drink out of that cup. But not Christ. He says, you know what? Not as I will, but as thou wilt. He was the model for Paul. He's our model. 
in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he was showing the disciples how to pray. And he says, thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Paul really conformed his life to the will of God. Whatever God wanted, Paul was willing to do it. He was utterly concerned about serving him. And that's the attitude that God desires. And that's what Christ has. And that's what Paul's example was too. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. Also, don't forget to mark on your calendar September 11th, Friday and Saturday, September 12th, for NorCal Fire. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City will play host to NorCal Fire, a wonderful two-day conference getting people fired up to warn the lost of the fire to come. Details can be found at gracebibleonline.org or strivingforeternity.org. Either one of these websites will give you more information. Again, gracebibleonline.org or strivingforeternity.org. You can also call 650-366-9923 for more information. NorCal Fire, make plans to join us. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.